This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. To 784. So this is going to be about the wealthiest man to have, who has ever lived, right? I know that Guinness Book of World Records is going to say all the different people that are out there, but the truth is that Yitzchak Avinu was beyond everybody, and it's proven from these psukim. It says, "Vayizra Yitzchak." It says, "Mchavav Yudbeis." Vayizra Yitzchak Baratzahi. Yitzchak planted in that land. Vayimtsa Bashanahi Meash Arim, and he found in that land. A hundred sha'arim, which seems to mean a hundred times the amount that he thought he was going to have. Vayivarchei Hashem and Hashem had blessed him. Vayidalish, the man grew. So he got bigger and bigger. As time went down, he got bigger and bigger. Ad kigadal ma'od, until he became very, very great. Until he became awesome with everything that he had. It says in Yudala, Vayilo mikne tsonu mikne bakor vavudo rabba. He had cattle. He had sheep. And Avuda Rabba, which we'll talk about, by Yikanu Oso Plishtim. And the Plishtim were totally jealous of him. They couldn't believe he was there. So in the end, the Plishtim kicked him out. There's so much to talk about with this Pusik, all the different parts over here. So here's what we're going to say. The first thing is like this. In Pusik Yud Beis, there's an extra word. It says, Ba'aretzahi and Ba'shanahahi. Why is that word used? Why does it say the word Ahi over here? And Rashi says, although this land didn't have the status of Eretzol, which is super interesting considering they're in Gaza right now, and this is the area of the Plishtim from back in the day, not the Palestinians, let's be very clear about that, but the Plishtim, right, in that land did not have the total status of Eretzol. It was like the land of the seven nations, and the year was not a great year. It had it had been a famine earlier, and the assumption is that there was a famine elsewhere in Eretz Yisrael. The land was harsh. The year was harsh. It didn't make a difference. Yitzchok was unbelievably successful. That's the first lesson that we learned from over here. So that's Bashanahi, Eretzahi. That's what it means over here. Uh, Rabbeinu Bechaya says, because I don't think you understand how many miracles had to happen in order for this to be. This was not fertile land. This is a desert area. There was sand. There was no water. Right? And it was shocking that this had happened to them. They didn't understand it, that the land was sprouting forth with fruits and plants of all kinds, and nobody saw anything like this before. That's how shocked they were. In that land, at that time, that's the way that you have to understand Rashi. Rechaim Paltiel then asked the question, he says, wait a second, if it's not considered Eretz Yisrael, if it's not really considered Israel, then why was Yitzchak allowed to live there? We all know Yitzchak wasn't able to go to Egypt. He was on his way down to Egypt, and a Kaddish Baruch said, stop, don't go. You shouldn't go to Egypt. And the reason why is because you can't leave Eretz Yisrael. So if this land didn't have the consideration, it didn't have the status of Eretz Yisrael, who allowed him to be there? Yitzchak is the Ola Tamima. He's the Korban of a Kaddish Baruch He's not allowed to leave anywhere else. So here's where Chaim Paltiel's answer. He says, there's no question that the land was part of Eretz Yisrael, but it was an inferior part of Eretz Yisrael. This is, the Gaza area, is the worst part of all of Eretz Yisrael when it comes to planting and anything that could happen there. So it was Eretz Yisrael, but it wasn't like the rest of Eretz Yisrael, and that's what Rashi means. It's not that it wasn't part of Eretz Yisrael, it's just not as good. That's his answer. The Panach Raza says, that's exactly why Abimelech and Fichel wanted to kick him out. It's not normal for a king to kick somebody out of his nation just because he became wealthy and rich. That's 
the wrong thing to do. You get more taxes from having wealthy people inside your land. That's not a very smart thing to do. Why wouldn't they let him stay and ask him to bless the rest of the land? Why would they tell him that you should get out? It's clear they assumed it wasn't him that was making the land great. It was the land that he was on that was making everything so good, making everyone else look so bad. They asked him to leave so they could take over that land, the Aretzahi, try their luck there, and only later did they realize that it was in his schus. That's what had happened, and it wasn't the quality of the land itself. That's what the Paneach Raza says, which so goes with the same idea of Aretzahi. They thought it was the land. They thought that it was where he was and what he was doing, and only later on recognized that it was Yitzhak Avinu. The Torah more points out that the power of what jealousy does to a person, how how much that takes a person down. They were so jealous of Yitzchak that even when they saw that his successes was helping everyone around them, they still couldn't handle it. There are so many people in this world that look at things that happen to them and they say to themselves like, Man, I wish that would be me. If only that would be me. Not recognizing that they themselves are benefiting from that person who's getting those good things happening to them. It doesn't have to be to you. You still benefit from it. That's the idea that the Torah more is saying. Like, how in the world could they have been this obtuse, this silly, about things that were so obvious to them? The Moshe Zakanim gives another answer that he only left in order to plant fields. Right? That's something. This is an open area that wasn't owned by anyone else. He never went to live there. He never wanted to live in this area. That was never his point in the first place. And therefore, he was allowed to live outside of Israel. So that, again, is a different answer as to why he was able to be in this land without any issues whatsoever. There's more. Me'ash Arim. We all know Me'ash Arim as being the name of that area in Eretz Yisrael that's used by the Haredim, right? One side is Geula, one side is Me'ash Arim, Beis Yisrael is on the other side, right? You have the area of Beis Yisrael, you have Me'ash Arim right there. And Me'ash Arim is one of the earliest neighborhoods outside of the old city. It's actually made, anybody who's been to Me'ash Arim has seen, it's made like a fortress. It's made unbelievably well with houses, but not really houses, almost like walls that go all the way around it. Now they've knocked open some of the doors. They kept it open. But this is because the Bedouin Arabs used to rob and take from everybody that was around there. They needed it to be a fortress. So they made it into a fortress. That's what Meisharim was. So literally the word is a hundred gates. A hundred gates, right? As if you have so much there. The Ibn Ezra says Sha'arim comes from the word Shi'ur, as in an amount of grain. But Rashi says that they looked at it as, how much could this land make? I guess based on that word Shi'ur, but how much it could make, and it ended up making a hundred times more than what it was supposed to be. Chazal tell us they normally, simply put, they wouldn't have normally counted the produce of the land. We all know that bracha is only chal when you don't count things. Because miracles are only there when they're secret miracles. You can't expect a massive miracle. If I look at my wallet and I see that I have $100 in there, and then I look a little bit later and I'm like, oh, it's still only $100? What did you expect? Of course it's only $100. You're counting your money. How is there supposed to be a bracha? Otherwise, I mean, it would have to be like an open miracle that a Kaddish Baruch will put more money in your wallet. But if you don't check... Right? There's a possibility that a Kaddish Baruch will always continue to have your wallet filled with money. I'm not suggesting it to people. This is not a good idea to go somewhere and just pull out your wallet and assume that there's going to be money inside there. You have to be still on a level for a nice nister to happen. But the idea behind it is, is that if it's galoi, if it's a well-known miracle, if it's out there, then you can't expect it to happen. If it's nister, then it's a possibility. So Chazal tell us, you don't count, you don't measure, you don't weigh. But Metziah Membezim and Aleph talks about this. So 
So why would they do that here and count that it was a hundred times more? Here they needed to do, they need to do this to find out how much they had to give for Meister. Yitzchak Avinu was very big into giving Meister. You're not allowed to give Meister based on guesswork. So they had to count, they had to see how much it was, and recognize what they had to give for Meiser itself. Rabbi Chiyom Michal Feinstein talks about this, Tosefis Bracha talks about this, and that's that. Dave, what were you going to say? I was going to ask you, but we're required to count for Meiser. Yeah, that that's it. Yeah, 100%. So they did, just for that. Right? You have to count in order to get to that point, right? To be able to give Meiser itself. But you can't expect a Bracha to happen once you count it. So you just hope and you pray to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that before I end up counting it for Meiser, before it's ready for Meiser, give me a Bracha, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Allow it to grow almost supernaturally. You're saying, like, I hope I have a little bit more than what I think I have. That's the idea behind so it. doesn't give Meiser immediately when they get, their, when they get them out? Like, well, it's very hard to do when it comes to money. Because everybody kind of knows their paycheck, right? So you kind of know what you're going to get, and that's really hard. When grain comes, it's kind of easier. You're hoping that the grain actually grows, that the grain makes, maybe the kernels can become fatter. Maybe somehow there's more than what you thought there was going to be there in the first place. That can happen. Or you don't have any mice or rats taking away all the grain. You could save yourself in that way, and you don't have as much taken away that would normally be done by vermin and stuff like that. You can, that's a normal thing to ask for before you start counting. When it comes to money, it's really hard. How are you going to do that? Because, oh, I mean, unless nobody, if you don't know what you're, yeah, maybe the stock market, but that's already, it might be gullible because everybody knows what happens in the stock market, right? It would have to be like sort of like a person who doesn't know their paycheck whatsoever, and that is not solid financial advice. That is not a good thing to be able to go ahead and do, but that's how Rashi says that a real bracha comes. Now, the Chassam Sofer in Taurus Moshe says he did an omad, this is Yitzchak Avinu, to take off taxes for the king. He did an evaluation he didn't count it exactly, but he did a basic, like, okay, it looks like I have this amount to know how much he had to pay taxes. So that way, the king would not have a hand in his grain. There would be no other ownership other than him, because a partnership with a guy could potter you from Meiser. He wanted to give Meiser. So he did an omade, an evaluation of Mea Sha'arim, in which he said, all right, I'm going to give my taxes to the king, and then... From there, he was able to know that there was going to be a bracha and everything. That's how he was able to take off. That's the idea of it. There's a few other answers for this in Chassam Sofer Al-Torah, but that's the basic answer. Yeah. Did he get with too? The, probably to the poor. As opposed to, you know, obviously there's no Kohanim for Meiser, no Levium for Meiser Rishon, there's no Chumas Meiser for the Kohanim, there's no Meiser Shani eating in Yerushalayim, but he probably gave Meiser as in giving to the poor. Shlomo, yeah. I don't know. That Chassam Sofer is a little bit weird to me, and there's actually a huge Chavetzelos Asheron and in the Chassam Sofer Al-Torah that says a little bit different. I'm not positive when his chiyuv in taking off Meister would apply. Did it apply before the Omid, after the Omid? What exactly would it be? First of all, do you take Meister off of an Omid in the first place? Because it's not an exact amount. It's a measured amount that you're basically guessing. Is that really what you're going to take? I don't have a great answer to the question. I'm giving over what the Chassam Sofer says, but I'm not positive that's exactly what he means, especially based on what he says in the Chassam so for Allah Torah, as opposed to the Torah's Moshe. Yeah, Dave. So Malchitzedek was the Kohen, then you said Avram might have taken Took over. Took it over, yeah. And then so Yitzchak. 
the kuna is with them, so do they take Meister for their own? They, I, it, they had no chiv of truma, so no, they didn't take off. But Meister, again, this Meister is not what we're talking Meister, Rish, Meister, Shani, it's just given to the poor. It's going to be something different entirely. That would be that. There's a baltos over here, right? So, obviously, it's famine time, right? Yitzchok Vino must have known that there were a lot of people who had nothing to eat, who were probably starving. And it would make sense that he said to himself, if this field can dr- grow a hundred core, I'll give ten core for Meister and I'll give it immediately. He might have gone in saying that. And it ended up being that it didn't just grow a hundred core, it grew a thousand core and he gave a hundred core to Meister. That's a very good possibility that was based on what he said that allowed him to have exactly what he thought he was going to make off this field. That's what he gave as its Meister. That was the actual 10%. The Torah more also says this. It's coming to tell us how careful he was with giving tzedakah, which is so important for us. Look, I had a big challenge this week, and I failed. I pretty much failed the challenge. I had a lot of mishulachim over the last two weeks. A lot. Way more than I've had normally. I was up to 19, 20, and 21 by Wednesday, by yesterday, right? And it was a lot. So when he came in, when they knocked on the door, I was upset. I was upset. I knew I shouldn't be, and obviously not, that I was doing homework with my kid. I was in the middle of doing something else, right? There was a texting issue that, that somebody was texting me at the time, and I was like, all right, this is not the time for it. And I didn't give the way that I should have. I know I shouldn't have given. I should have been with a happier face, even though I wasn't, you know, whatever it was. And when they asked me for more... Because that's an amazing thing to do, and I'm glad that they have the audacity to do that. <laughs> that is a brazenness that only Jews would have. Like, I don't know you, I've never met you before, I'm coming to your house, and you're giving me X amount of dollars, I need more. That is awesome. I love Judaism, right? I know I should have been better than your number 20 of this week, sir. I can't. I know I should have been better than that. I know. It was a failure on my part. But we see that Yitzchak Avinu learned his lesson from this. He knew and he said, I'm willing to give a hundred core, right? And from there, he got a thousand core from it, right? Because he said what he was willing to give as much as he wanted to do, he got everything and more. And we all know this. We all know that you can test that Kaddish Baruch when it comes to Meister, when it comes to tzedakah. Sometimes it's really hard to do it lemaisa. And that's the lesson that we learn from this. That it's okay. It's okay. And by the way, I wrote this up on Motzei Shabbos. You think I would have learned my lesson, right, by Wednesday of this past week. Nope! That's the way of the Yitzhahara. Thank you, Yitzhahara. You got me, and I really appreciate it. But it is, I mean, I, I can kind of excuse it as a lack of funds. <laughs> like, there is something to that. You know, whatever. Yeah, at least the checks didn't bounce. So that's how it goes. That's the Torah more. There's a safer Imre Shefer. The Imre Shefer asks, why is it that a Kaddish Baruch whose bracha is not chal and something that's counted or measured. Why not? I gave a simple answer before because it's going to be an open miracle if you already know how much you have. But if you don't know how much you have, then there could be bracha. That's an answer. But he says the following. He says, I don't understand. If God can create something out of nothing, right? Certainly. He can add to something that's already counted. Of course he'd be able to add to something that's already measured. Why is that a problem? Why is that something that's there? So he says this. He says, the truth is, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu is blessing something, then of course the bracha can be chal even if it's counted or measured. The problem is, what if it's not Hashem directly? What if it's a malach that's doing it? What if it's coming through a malach that's giving the bracha? If a malach is doing it, then there are limitations. A malach giving a bracha versus a Kaddish Baruch, Kaddish Baruch has no limitations. But a malach is only allowed to do what Hashem sets it out to do. 
And a malach has certain things that it can and certain things that it can't. That's why the bracha is learned from this word, Yitzav Hashem Itcha Es bracha. May God give you the bracha. Meaning, if it's Yitzav Hashem, commanded by Hashem, and it's gone through a malach, then obviously it's going to be a little bit different. If it's Itcha with you, almost as if it's given over to you from someone else, then it's not going to be as great of a bracha. And that's only ba'asomecha. That's when something is not counted. In this pasuk, vayivorcheyu Hashem, by Yitzchak Avinu, the bracha came directly from Hakadosh Baruch Hu Himself. That meant that it could happen no matter what, whether it was counted, whether it wasn't counted, whether it was involved, whether it wasn't involved. All of that could happen right over here. And similarly, the Maril says a bracha cannot be chal on something that's measured, because when you measure it or count it, you are limiting it. You are trying to make it into something different. A bracha cannot be chalent, something you limited, right? Something that's out there. But if you do for meiser or another mitzvah, then kedusha that can be chal on it. So you have to remember this. If this is something that we're asking a kaddish baruch Hu to do, then we have to start thinking to ourselves: If I want that bracha, then you have to really say to yourself: I'm doing this for the right reasons. And then, only then, says the Mariel, then you can have something that's belish shirugvul. Then it can go there. I, I, I do this, you know, I tell people to do this all the time. A guy wants to win the lottery, and I just say, like, well, all, you should already set up what you want to do with your tzedakah and how you're going to go to a Kaddish Baruch and say, if I win X, I will give these amount of dollars to this organization or to this poor person or to whatever it is, and you'll know it beforehand. That's at least a skula to be able to know what you're getting at before you actually get it. And maybe then the schus will be that a Kaddish Baruch will allow you to have what you're supposed to have. I can't tell you you're going to win the lottery, right? I'm not a Navi and I'm not like that. And I don't even think it's good for most people to win the lottery. I think it's actually really, really bad for people. But on the other hand, if a person really wanted to do it, then at least set yourself up beforehand. Know what you're getting yourself into. At least think about it beforehand. As far as Yonasan says, usually the bracha of a Kaddish Baruch is by Eleth. It's a thousand times, right? For example, Moshe's Baruch of Yosef Hashem Aleichem Elif Pamim. It's what Yoav said to David when David Melch asked him to count the people. He said, I, I hope that you get counted a thousand times over. Why are we counting the people? Yoav said to David Melch, I don't get it. That's usually the bracha. So what's with Mea Sha'arim? Why is it only a hundred times, right? Shouldn't it be a thousand times? And Tiferes Yonason says, it was a thousand times. Mea Sha'arim was the Meiser, which meant it really was a thousand times more. The bracha was a thousand times. The Mea Sha'arim that he got from this, from all of his plants, that's the amount of Meiser that he gave, which meant that he made really a hundred times more, a thousand times the amount that it should have been. That's the idea behind it. And that's what they saw supernaturally. That's right over here. The Panam Yafos, that's the Hafla. He says, until and including a hundred, the Satan has something to do with it. The word Sam, which is the name of the Satan, Samach Mem Aleph Lamed, Samach Mem is a hundred. That's the gematria of a hundred. When it's a hundred times, like we say, you're supposed to learn something a hundred and one times, not a hundred times, because it still has a chilek of the Satan to it, but learning a hundred and one times is already a little bit more. That's when the police were jealous of him. When it went above that amount, by Hashem, and it became one more, that's when he became successful. That's when everything was great. All of that has to do with the Mea Sha'arim aspect. Shlomo, what are you going to Ask. Uh, I think I have a question. Yeah. Is that that was Moshe's problem? I mean, 
Yeah, obviously, that a Kaddish Baruch Hu's Baruch can even be more than that, right? But at least a thousand is seen in the Torah. That's why we're asking, what about a hundred? And the answer is, a hundred was just the Miser. It was a thousand times, which meant a hundred times was the Miser of the thousand times. What's up, Mati? It's a good call. Meaning, if you have, let's put it this way. If he said originally, I want to give a miser of whatever it was, right? Of a hundred core, right? And then it was a hundred times more. That means the miser was a hundred times more, which allowed the total amount to be a thousand times more. That's the concept. The total would also be a hundred times more. You'd know math better than I do. You're the accountant who runs with numbers all day. Right. If you do a hundred times, if you have a hundred times, let's say the number is a hundred, right? A hundred and, then, and therefore you take uh, ten, right? So you, or we'll say you have, you have ten and you take one. You multiply by a hundred, ten times a hundred is a thousand. Right. right, that's a thousand right there. And then from there, it actually was a thousand times more. You gave a thousand, but it ended up being ten thousand. Right, wouldn't that be work out? I'm going to let you work it out. I'm not positive, but I, that's, how it, that's how it seemed to me, so maybe it worked that way, but that's the idea behind it. The Orachimachadr says something crazy. He says, it wasn't affected by Ayin Hara, right? Remember, all these Plishtim were around him, and they couldn't stand the fact that Yitzchak had just become an unbelievably wealthy person. So they were all given Ayin Haras. Ayin Hara, by the way, is when you close your right eye, you're looking up with your left eye, and you can't think anything good about the guy. They're staring at the guy with their left eye, and it didn't affect his stuff whatsoever, and that was the bracha. That he didn't lose anything from Ayin Hara. The Rabbi Yoel says it's all in the bracha of Avraminu, that Avraminu was a hundred years old when Yitzhak was born. Now, there's a Kiddush Rim. He says very cryptically that a Meir Sha'arim, a hundred gates in Shamayim, can be opened up by anyone who says a hundred brachos a day. Now, if you daven three tefillos a day and you bench once during the day, you will have a hundred brachos without even trying. Right? There's around 92 brachos that you say every single day. You do Alnatil Zidayim and Hamotzi, and then four brachos of benching. That brings you to 98. You probably went to the bathroom a time or two. You probably had some other food during that day. You're going to have 100 brachos without even trying. Again, it just takes one meal with benching in it. One meal, and you've already got 100 brachos without any try, without, without really any working. Shabbos is a little bit harder. Yom Kippur is almost impossible. But you can get to 100 brachos. The Chidusha Rim says, that opens up Mea Sha'arim in Shemayim. And that's that. The Rekanati says, the Chochmea Kabbalah, those who know Kabbalah well, they say above, there are a hundred gates of Shefa, of influence, that come down to the world. They're open in Shemayim, and when those open, everything, so to speak, comes through the clouds and lands on Klau Yisrael. He says that Shefa is hinted by the hundred sockets that they made by the Mishkan, in which they took the Mishkan boards and they put them inside the sockets, and the hundred kikar of silver that were used to make them kikar le'eden, one kikar for every single socket. Every socket was literally a keeble. It was almost like a clee that had a hole in it, right? Almost like hands wide open, waiting to collect the shefa from Shemayim. And the boards that went in it were growth. 
That's something that grows, the Atzei Shittim. Then when it goes inside, it's almost like something is growing. That's the Shefa represented by Shemaim. It's almost like HaKadosh Baruch Hu is pouring it down. And that's what this all represented. Every single bracha we make, make opens up one of those openings, one of those doors of Shefa from up above. And although we don't understand exactly how that works, usually it's through Korbanos, sometimes through Tfilos, that's that. These 100 brachos is able to happen something. If a person doesn't do it, if a person misses out on these brachos by not davening Marev or not davening Mincha, not davening Shachris, and losing out on all of those brachos you could have, he could be Mekatzitz Benetios, Chas Shalom. That means it's almost like he's knocking down the trees of Gan Eden. He's missing out on something that's so easy to get. A Kaddish Baruch who put it in your hands. All it takes is to say them. That's what it's saying over here, and that's what the hundred gates represent. The next thing. Rashi says, we know Yitzchak became very great because people would say, there's what, there's what the people would say, the fertilizer of Yitzchak's mules was greater than the silver and gold of Avimelech. I'd rather have his mules fertilizer. That's what I'd rather have than anything that comes out of Avimelech's house. Now that's an unbelievably strange thing to say. Okay, It's a good muscle. Right? But it's an unbelievably strange thing to say. Why fertilizer? Why mules? And why in the world would that be better than silver and gold? How could that be better than silver and gold? Nachos Yaakov tells us that the point of the mushal was that even the lowest animal that Yitzchak had, mules are the lowest of animals. They give birth to... Well, I know mules nowadays are not always sterile. 10% of mules are not sterile nowadays. They can still have babies. But most mules don't give birth. An animal that cannot give birth. It's just going to work for you and then die. And there's nothing else you can get from it. You're not going to milk it, obviously. It doesn't give you wool. right? All you have is the work that it does. And mules are good pack animals. They're good animals for that. But that's about it. You can't get anything else from it. And its fertilizer is the worst part of that animal. The dung of the animal, the worst part, the thing that's the lowest of the low. And even that, even that was filled with bracha and atzlacha. So how was it filled with bracha and atzlacha? Niamloez says, just like Eov used to give people money, the Gemara Babasra says, and every time they took money from Eov, they saw crazy Hatzlacha from it. They were all able to become successful as if they were partners with Eov in a certain deal. Right? They all saw it. So too, any time they used Yitzchak's mules fertilizers, their fields grew crops that were beautiful and awesome crops that they couldn't imagine before. That's the idea, said the Miyam says. It was better than any gold and silver the king had, where they used the gold, they used the silver, they got nothing out of it. Maybe the deal went well, maybe the deal didn't go well. With the fertilizer of Yitzchak's mules, they knew everything was going to go right. So everyone wanted to buy his stuff. They wanted to go near him. It's like everything he did turned into gold. You know certain people that are like that, certain financial gurus, right? That everybody would do anything to have him invest their money because everything he touches turns into gold. Everything he does is going to be successful, right? That type of guy. I'm sorry? In a legal way. Right, in a legal way. Right, 100%. They're willing to do stuff like that. And the Mizraki and the Gurai all say that. The Divrei David says, Taz... He says that, look, people exaggerate about other people's possessions, right? They say like, oh, you know, that's crazy. Like, you got to see that car. It's worth like $500,000. They'll exaggerate and they'll be like, it's obviously not that much. right? But they'll exaggerate and they'll do stuff like that. The craziest thing about Yitzchak's fertilizer is that he was able to, to almost like back it up. Like, they were able to say like, oh my gosh, that fertilizer is worth its money. It's worth its weight in gold. 
And everybody's like, yeah, that must be a joke. And then they realized that it was true. That was the crazier part behind it, that it kept becoming bigger and bigger, and nobody really understood what was happening with it. The Imri Emes asked how all this is possible. And he goes through the whole thing with Eov and says, based on the Gemara and Pesachim and Kufyad Beis, etc. They were unbelievably blessed. And he says the same basic answer that Miyam Loewe saw, right? The ba- basic idea. Just said that it kept growing. It just kept growing. And the Gurariye says from the name of his brother, this is just a weird answer. His animals gave birth, to, had so much zevil. They just went to the bathroom so often that the total amount he sold was worth more than the gold and silver in Abimelech's house. It didn't mean that the actual fertilizer was worth, was worth more than gold. It wasn't. But the pure, sheer amount of fertilizer that he had, which is an unbelievably disgusting thing to think about, was so much that it made the gold seem like it wasn't enough. Like, even Abimelech couldn't afford to buy all the fertilizer that Yitzchak Avinu had from his mules. You know, just at some point, there can't be that big of a market for fertilizer. <laughs> I can't imagine that everybody was like, we need fertilizer so much, and his animals were just like, yeah, we're good. <laughs> like, well, I, there's something a little bit weird about that. Right, well, that's why. That's what we said before, right? It's possible that that's the only reason why it was good, that it happened through this. That's a very good possibility. That's that. Moshe of Zakanim, though, asked a really funny question. Ready for the funny question? Who created mules? So there's a Rashi. Rashi says later on in Parshas Vayishlach, it was a guy by the name of Anna. Anna was one of the people of Seir, and he matzah esayemim, the Pasuk says. It's at the very end of Perakulamid Vav. He found the Yemen. We gave a share on this once, and some say that the Yemen are the mules. It was Anna that found them. Well, so, wait a second. Anna was later, seemingly. So if Anna's later, right, and it's Paraklamid Vav, Pasachav Dalid, we're still in like Paraklamid Vav, right? How in the world did Yitzchak Avinu have mules? Where did they come from? They weren't born yet. So, he gives a couple answers. He says, it's possible, the Moshe Zagainim says, it's possible there were mules, but Anna created a very dangerous species of mule that had white legs and apparently could kill you if they bit you. Right? So obviously nobody wants to be around these types of mules. But apparently that was super dangerous for them and nobody wanted to be around them. That's that. He also suggests that Pyrrha might be a reference not to mules, but to small animals, young animals that were there. Right? We do call Rusanama Pyrrha Prados uh, Tovos. There's a revolt says that mules happened on their own. There were some mules that happened on their own. Meaning Anna discovered how it happened. But there were mules that happened on its own. A horse was together with a donkey and all of a sudden a mule came about. It's possible that a mule existed before Anna found them. That's the idea. He found this Chachma and used it to make more. But at least there were other mules around. That's another answer. There's a fourth answer by the Balitosos. He says that the word Prada refers to a pigeon. And pigeon's excrement. Has anybody ever heard of guano? Guano, like bat, right? Apparently, that's money in certain areas in Southeast Asia. The guano is actually used as a form of money, right? They scrape it out of caves under bats and they go through. So it could be that there were pigeons that did that and maybe there was no mules. It was just the pay to refer to the actual pigeons themselves. Another one. Kings and important people always knew how to use mules. They always knew what mules were. It was only Anna who gave it to the people. He was able to give it over to the people itself. There's a sixth answer. Berbasada has an absolute genius answer. He says Anna was Esau's father-in-law. 
He was one of the fathers of Esav's wives. One of the father of Esav, one of the wives of Esav, one his father. It could be it already happened. I know it's only mentioned later on in Paraklamid Vov, but if he's Esav's father-in-law, that means he's Yitzchak's age. If he's Yitzchak's age, then he could have come out with mules already by the time Yitzchak was by Avimelech. So they already knew about mules. That's a brilliant answer. Anyway, there's so much over here when it comes down to it, right? It says he was Gadol three times. He had three brachos over here. There's the Balaturim, the Rokeach, the Sforno, the Nitziv. He goes into all the different things that happened right over here. Revichil Michel Feinstein says this may have taken place, this concept of Gadol, how B'nai Yisrael were, taking place during the times of the Spanish Inquisition. He says that Spain was one of the powerhouses of the world at the time that the Spanish Inquisition had. Because the Jews there were very powerful and helped their economy very much. The Spanish Spaniards thought that it was them. So they kicked out all the Jews, got rid of all the Jews, took over all of their stuff, and that was the downfall of Spain. It took less than a hundred years for Spain to lose its power, to no longer be the powerhouse that it once was, and to be completely down when it came to that. That's Rabbi Chiyomecho Feinstein. There's more. There's Rabbi Yol here. A Malbim over here. There's more. But let's go down to the very, very bottom. The Barbanel says, the Pusik tells us, the Yitzchak Avinu became greater and greater. Because one might think he began to ignore his flocks. The more money he had, maybe he doesn't care about this stuff out there. And no, not so. That's not who Yitzchak was. He was attentive to all of their needs, still tending to the flocks, even though he was super wealthy, uber wealthy, and he could have afforded to give it over to somebody else. He bought, he could have bought servants and had them do it. It's possible he even did that with other people, and they were the ones tending it. But he didn't lose any chashivus, either for his other animals or for his land. And the truth is, a true, a wealthy person knows that even when you become super wealthy and those things seem like they're nothing to you, you still should pay attention to the smaller things that you really don't need anymore. Those things are still important. Even if they don't take up, they shouldn't take up all of your brain space. You became super wealthy and you have other things to take care of. Nonetheless, that's something that's important. And Yitzchak Avinu himself took care of all those things. He was still considered, he still considered them chashuv the entire time right over there. Ayala Sashachar, this is Reb Aaron Leib Steinman, says the word by Yisra in Pasuket Beis sounds like Yitzchak planted it himself. And that's why it was filled with bracha. Eventually he gave it over to others and he allowed others to do it. But by Yisra, Yitzchak himself got involved in the planting. And the truth is, what better bracha can you imagine than somebody getting involved himself, a person who's an unbelievable tzaddik, and putting their kishkas into the ground itself and allowing that stuff to grow. That allows for something to happen. Mayashiloach says, someone who plants believes he's going to be successful. That's just the way the Ishbitzer says. You accept, you think that you're going to have something grow. The Mida of Yitzchak, he says, is Gevura. And that can be explained as self-assurance. A guy who is chesed thinks of himself as low and other people as high. He tries to help people as much as possible. The Mida of Gevura is to have that self-confidence and to know that you can do it. And that's something that Yitzchak did. He knew something would be that way and he knew he could bring about Ashpah if he used it correctly. And that's what it is. He never became a Balgaiva, but he did everything correctly in the way that it was supposed to be. This growth, however, was gradual. It was on purpose, but it was gradual. He did not become rich overnight. He had slow bouts where this grew, and then this grew, and then this grew, and it was Meisharim. But not overnight did he get Meisharim. It was Meisharim little by little by little. 
HaKadosh Baruch did not want Yitzchak to be one of those people who lacks in the Yerush Hashem and thinks that they can do everything on their own. So therefore he saw that it was little by little by little. Had it been B'derech Nes, maybe other people would have recognized that, he says. And maybe they would have seen that he's a man of God immediately. They would have wanted him to stay and maybe Chas Vishtal Yitzchak would have been influenced by the people lying this way. They thought that something was wrong or something was natural, they should say, and therefore they thought that they could get away with kicking him out, which was better for Yitzchak. He stayed away from the evil of the people of the police themselves. The Ben Ishkai says it's, it's so much more obvious. You know, when you get like one massive gift, it feels awesome, but it wears off. When you get gradual gifts, like, I don't know, something that happens every month, and somebody gives you a gift every single month, it feels amazing every single month. There are ways of doing this, and I, I am not somebody, I'm not a mocker, so I have absolutely no idea how to get around and how to do this for people. But giving one check of $15,000 is not like giving three checks of $5,000 each. It's just not. It just doesn't feel the same way. Yes, $15,000 is an amazing thing, but getting three checks three different times at three different places, there's a lot more things. Three months later, I don't even remember if I got the $15,000 check. But if I get one, three months, different ones, that feels different. That's what he was saying. Darius Elio says that Yitzchak Binu got this in order to feel it again and again and again. That's the idea behind it. How much of a person, how much he got one by one by one. If we go with the last thing, guys. What is the Avuda Rabbah that Yitzchak had? Avuda Rabbah is a weird word. It doesn't appear anywhere else. Rashi says he just had a lot of production. He made a lot of money with everything. It's not a cholam, which means one bit of work. Avuda with a shuruk means it was everything. He got his hand in everything, which is always smart. That once you start investing, don't invest in just one thing. Get involved in everything. Put your hand in everything. So if something goes down, at least you'll be able to go up from the other things around. What do they call it when it comes to gambling? Dave, you would know. What's it called? Um, when you gamble on a bunch of things all at once. A parlay, thank you. So you have a parlay to be able to say, like, I'm doing that. Now, I am not suggesting anyone be gambling because that is probably the worst thing you could ever do and I guarantee you, you will lose. That is going to be the end of everyone who gambles and that's 100% true. But the concept works in investments. In investments, try to make sure that there's a bunch of things that you're involved with and that's that. Now, there's a lot of obvious answers here. It's not just a lot of production. Right? The Ebenezer says he refers he had a ton of slaves and maidservants, especially in a time of famine. I'm sure that was easy because he could feed them much easier when they were working for him. The Rashbam says it refers to fields and vineyards. The Ramban says it refers to everything. He had sheep, cattle, uh, what's it called, mules. Uh, what else do we have? What else did they have back then? Donkeys, goats, servants, more. He branched out. He got a little bit of everything. He made sure to have everything there. The Rokat said he had servants to watch the sheep and stuff that he had. Servants to do his bidding, digging wells, and the people around them. This is a person who basically had his own little city. Aparminu had Avadim who were with him in whatever he did. But I don't know if there were actually his actual Avadim and slaves doing what Aparminu wanted him to do. Yaakovinu, we don't see him having this amount of money. We see Yitzchak with a massive city of people that were working for him, Avuda Rabba. That's the idea behind it. There's a Rokach, there's an Itziv, there's a Balaturim over here. He was just a wealthy, powerful person that whatever he wanted was there. Rabbi Victor Miller has a great ending for this and something that's there. I'm going to go into Rabbi Victor Miller and the Tferis Yonison over here. He says, Yitzchak Avinu started off wealthy. He inherited money from his father. There's no question that he had money from Avram Avinu, right? And he did get Kol Everything that Avram Avinu had was given over to Yitzchak. But he now became wealthier than Avram had ever been. The whole Parsha shows us 
that even though Yitzchak was this unbelievably wealthy person, it's so funny, by the way, because if you ask somebody who's like not from, they think of Yitzchak Avinu as being this like Nebuchadnezzar of. We all know about Avram, we all know about Yaakov, but Yitzchak is like the Nebuch of them all. Yitzchak was probably the wealthiest, most successful of any of the Avos and the Shvatim. He was unbelievably successful, but he never changed. He was the exact same person. He was still Yitzchak Avinu beforehand, he's the Yitzchak Avinu afterward. He made sure never to become arrogant or lazy or anything because of what he had, he made sure that it didn't change his avoda Hashem, one iota, even though he was that much wealthier afterward, which is an unbelievable meter to get to. Yeah. Why isn't the bracha for wealth after him and it's after Korah? Meaning, don't we give the bracha that you should be rich like Korah? Whoa, no, never. Who in the world blesses a person to be like Korah? No, to be rich like Korah. I thought there's a concept of being rich like Korah. No, no, I would never do that. I would never do that. I would never say that. The riches of Korach came from Mitzrayim and was filled with Tumah, which is why Korach ended up making some really bad decisions. Never be rich like Korach. That is a horrible thing. You do not want that wealth. I would tell you, yes, be rich like Yitzchak Avinu. And if that's not a thing, do it now. Like, start telling people. This is the greatest thing in the world. Riches like Yitzchak Avinu, to get it gradually, but huge amounts, branch out in every way, and to never change yourself as a person, you can't give a person a better bracha. Korach, you can give yourself a better bracha. That's a much, much, that, 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 I wouldn't go with that. I've never even heard that. I've never even heard right, somebody rich like Korah. Yeah, there's a thing for me rich like Korah. I, I gotta find it. Maybe it's a Sparty thing. Sparty thing? Sparty? I'm much smarter than that. No way. Rich like Korah, I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, we got so many Sparty here, okay? No. We got said Avram? You've never heard it before. We got like a hundred Sparty here. <laughs> like, there's no way. This has never been heard of by any Sparty ever. No, it's for sure an Ashkenazi thing. <laughs> like, somebody who like looked at the Torah is like, Korach was rich, I hope I'm like Korach. And somebody's like, that's a great bracha. And everybody's like, what? No, that's terrible. I, 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 that's crazy to me. That's absolutely crazy. Anyway, the very, very end, Tereziona says he was actually a servant of the king when all this happened. So he didn't keep anything. He didn't keep anything afterward. He did this to be Mekayim Golis on himself. He became super rich, gave everything up as taxes to the king. And put himself in Gullus since he wasn't allowed to leave the land of Eretzisrael and hoped to mitigate that his Gullus would take care of Gullus for his kids in the future. It never happened. But you know what did happen? My salvo simon labanim. His children, when they're in Gullus, became super wealthy. Yitzchak Avinu showed that even in Gullus, a Jew can become super wealthy. Very successful. Jealous, jealousy from the other nations. And they may kick us out because of it. But there's no question that the success of B'nai Yisrael throughout Gullus is in the schus of Yitzchak Avinu and his ability to use wealth in the best possible way. Shkari, guys, we'll stop with that. Have a great Shabbos. And we'll dive